we're going there. No. We're going to have a conversation about grief. No. Rachel doesn't want to, and that's why we're going to do it anyway, because nobody wants to talk about grief. And inevitably, something crappy is going to end up happening in your life or in your relationship when you don't actually want to have to deal with it or experience it. And we thought we'd talk about it even on a day when we don't want to because that's the way that crap happens in life. Still don't want to do it? Not really. That's why we're going to do it anyway. (laughs) Here's the thing. We lost somebody that was close to us recently. It was super, super unexpected. And in a weird way, it made us have to reflect on this conversation of loss on uh, just the conversation of um, what you take for granted until something comes around the corner and surprises you and, and makes you have to think about kind of everything, life and what's important or what isn't. And so um, since inevitably every single human who listens to this podcast will at one point or another have to deal with the topic of grief, and sometimes that processing of grief is going to show up as a real thing that you have to work through to maintain a quality, exceptional relationship. Um, We're going to dive into it, even though it's still a little bit raw for us, and even though it's not a thing that uh, we really want to talk about. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis. And I'm Dave Hollis. And we're married. For like 15 years. And we have four kids. That's like a thousand kids. We've been foster parents to four kids as well. And we're running a business together. That's a lot of things. It is a lot of things. But we know that it's possible to have an exceptional relationship regardless of the stresses you have in your life. So if you want some tips and tricks on how we get through all the things, this is Rise Together. Okay, so I think when it comes to a relationship, what is important to know is how, in the same way that we know each other's love language, is what, how, do, how does each person process mm. grief? So for me, this loss was very triggering for a few reasons, and so instead of just the sadness of the loss of someone that I cared about, it was also the reminder of the loss of my brother and that just all sorts of things bubbled up. And so it's important to know, I think to be a good partner is what are they experiencing like on the surface? And then what are they experiencing below the surface. That's, that's interesting. I I can remember the first time I dealt with someone close to me dying. My dad's very, very best friend. We called him uncle Mel. He worked together with my dad every single day. I was on a roof with him every summer. My dad's a contractor. And one day out of the blue, he was on a hike, got bit by a tick and he got encephalitis and they found him in his kitchen and he died. Like an infection? Like you, like you get bit and it like actually, I want to say like goes into like your spinal cord and like, like you quickly? get it like quickly, like within a day he went from having a bite to being dead. No. And 
I lived a pretty sheltered childhood. So like I never really had to process loss in the way that a lot of people had to process loss. I was like 12 or 13 years old. And I can still remember going to the service. It was my first time like trying to real time process this thing that did not seem fair. And there was a reception where they had food so that everyone could celebrate Uncle Mel's life. And they had a vegetable dish out on the table. And I walked into the room and my mom was like, why don't you go have some carrots? I'm going to cuss in a second. So close the ears of any small humans that should never be listening to the Rise Together podcast. <laughs> and I said, I don't want any fucking carrots. You said that to your mom? To my mother. How old were you? I was like 13 years old. No. I mean, like, it was the like, low point of my entire life. <laughs> but I was so angry that carrots were like the consolation prize that they were handing out at this thing that felt so unbelievably unfair. That yeah. like, on Saturday, he was hiking. And on Monday, when he didn't show up for work, my mom it was the one that drove over by his house to find out that he'd passed away. Like, you want me to eat carrots? Yeah. So like my processing there was like, I first was just, I was so angry mm -hmm. because of what felt like this injustice. And I wasn't angry with what just happened over the course of this last week of time. I was just really sad. It's, it's so, I mean, like, I'm, I'm not sure that like if age had something to do with it, but Watching you process this, it was really, I mean, like sadness was a constant for both of us. Yeah. In this. Well, so what I think is interesting, I just talked with uh, Allie, who's our assistant. I was just talking to her about this last week of when you lose someone close to you. I think of like when I lost my brother. There's this crazy thing that happens like the carrots where everybody else's world just keeps going. Yeah. And you're, I remember this so clearly when Ryan died, like our world is over, over. You lose someone close to you, your, your life is over. You can build a new life. It can become something new, but life as you knew it ended that day. And the day my brother died, life ended. And for other people, it was just a Monday. Yeah. Like they went to work. They they had McDonald's. They ate carrots. They Complained did about laundry. Yeah. Like yeah. literally anything. And so there's this crazy sort of out of body experience of like, what is going on? I, I, I think what's interesting about the difference between us is the sounds very morbid, but death has always been a part of my life. Always. I grew up in a, my dad had five siblings. I had a huge, on my dad's side specifically, big family, aunts, uncles, like going back generations. That's great aunt so-and-so. Like that was always a part of my life was just this huge extended family. And a lot of them were older. And so the, my family, we can throw a funeral like nobody you ever met in your life. I mean, I've legitimately, I mean, 30 funerals in oh my, my childhood. Like it just, it, what it, I mean, it was always sad, but it was just sort of like, this is what you do. Like, I think 
there are people right now, if someone that close to them died, they wouldn't even know what to do. Like our family would be like, oh, where's the checklist from a very early age? And my, it, where I grew up, Southern culture, like we were all about respect. I don't care if you were five, like you were going to your great aunt's funeral with an open casket. You, that just, that's yeah. what you did. That was a sign of respect for her life. And so it was just always, always a part of my life. But Ryan was the first young person that had ever died in my life. See, there's such an interesting difference between my grandpa who had Parkinson's and was sick for a long time before he passed or my grandpa Lou who had schizophrenia or my like there there were there were people who were sick that their getting older and passing was a blessing relative to a young person dying or or like the unexpected accident that happens that's like take the wind out of you kind of experience that again i've been fortunate to not have as much experience with but the couple of times now that it's happened it it makes you think differently about tomorrow being guaranteed, about what the heck you worry about today and why none of, like almost none of it actually matters, the stuff that you give any kind of weight to. Well, I think, uh, so I want to challenge you a little bit on something because I think that even when someone's older and it's like the blessing, I guess, we, yeah, with your grandpa, he's he suffered for so long. I mean, I knew him when I didn't know him, but I was part of your life when he was in hospice. And so that was such a blessing. But I think of both my grandma and my grandpa, even though they were older, their loss is still like I'm emotional right now thinking about it. Like their loss was still very, very hard for me. Um, and maybe it's age. Hmm you know, I was little. And so I just was sad that I had lost my grandma. I wasn't, I don't know. There's something it's like the first time I was really introduced to mortality was a, I was a kid who worried about everything. I, I always worried about things that frankly didn't even warrant worry. And then I was introduced to death and that like glimpse into mortality was jarring for me trying to process the notion of not living forever, which I like, I don't think I ever consciously thought like, Oh, I'll just live forever. But I never thought about not living. And then you have to go to a funeral, uh, you know, especially when you have to go to a funeral of someone who was unexpectedly taken and you're like, Oh wow. The hubris in thinking that like any of this just exists. I don't know. I, I had, I had a different experience with my older relatives in that, there's this pragmatism inside of me. I hope maybe it makes me callous. I, I don't want to sound that way, but like there, I, I didn't have as much grief necessarily because of like a life. Well, well you lived. have no soul. So I, it's well, no, here's the thing. My grand, my grandma is 96. I had a conversation with my mom yesterday about grandma getting a headache, which apparently is a thing at 96 that's happened three times in her 96 years. God bless And so grandma she says Lee. to my mom, I'm pretty sure I'm dying. Oh, grandma. And she's not. Like, she'll never die. I, yeah, I mean, like, she, she, every third Tuesday, something we're like, oh, there, nope, oh, no. you're back? Okay. And here's the thing. She's so My grandma's going to die hearty. in the next few years. Yeah. She knows that she's going to die. My mom knows. My mom has her living with her right now. She knows she's going to die. It's going to be hard on her to see her mom go. It's going to be hard on me. But 
man, she's lived a good life. Yeah. She's lived a long life. And she and I have had a conversation. She's ready, Mm -hmm. which is crazy because she's still playing bridge on Wednesdays with a fella named Harold, you know? (laughs) So, like, I don't know how you can be ready and still be playing bridge. He's a younger man. But... In a weird way, I need you to of, acknowledge that he's a younger man. He is a younger man. He's, he's like in his eighties. Yeah, it's very <laughs> exciting for Grandma Lee. Don't you leave that out. Uh, anyway, the bottom line is like, the, I, I'm such a weirdo about front loading that I've already managed my expectations of her one day from now. It could be three, five years from now, death. That I, I, I don't know. I think I'm a little more prepared for, well, ready sure. for it because she's 96. But it's not. I don't think it's like those are hard. It's not those that are hardest. Oh, yeah. The hardest is when they're young. The hardest is when it's a shock. The hardest is when you didn't see it coming. And I think that I can't. There was some quote. I was trying to remember this for Dave today, and I can't remember what it exactly what it was. It was written beautifully, but it was basically like grief or trauma, like losing someone like that is... The blessing in that is that it is life's great, like reset button. Reset button. Like you, you get, you have just immediate perspective. Immediate. None of this matters. Like, oh, I was so upset about this thing, and then I've lost this person that I love and admire. Like, I don't ever get to talk to him. Like, boom, done. I don't. So suddenly, all this other crap. None of that matters. The traffic doesn't matter. The messy house doesn't matter. The kid who keeps making that weird, annoying sound, and you're like, ah, would you? And then you're like, dude, you lost your friend and you don't get to talk to him anymore. And so at least there's some solace in like the reminder of, of something bigger than you, of tomorrow is not a guarantee of asking yourself the question. So this is how I deal with grief is like uh, through the stages, right? So a hundred percent shock. I mean, there's the seven stages of grief. Shock. Anger is a big one for me. I get angry. Maybe I get angry at God or maybe I get angry at the person or maybe like whatever I get angry, but whatever, um, I don't know which level this is, but my big thing in life is control. And I understand I can't control anything really, but I at least have to do something. And so what I immediately go into is what can you learn from this? Can you learn anything from this? Even if what you learn is stop the work that you're doing and go lay on the couch with your kids and snuggle. Like what can you take anything out of this? Because taking something good out of this is the only way I know of to try and find meaning here, right? For me, it's that, what if today's your last day? And maybe some of you listening to this, maybe you need to ask yourself that question. If today's your last day, if this week was your last week or this month was your last month, are you proud of the way you're living your life? I have that I I have that check in with myself often and not just because I see someone pass away but I ask myself that question a lot I've told you this. Yeah. Like if I died tonight I mean if I think about that it makes me sad my kids grow up without me and you know you live the rest of your life as a monk 
that's going to be sad. I'd wait a while to get back on the market. (laughs) (laughs) But if I died tonight, I am so proud of the way I live my life. Yeah. I, I did the best. You I knew. make me cry. What the <laughs> heck? I'm you proud of you. You wanted to talk about grief. I don't want to talk about grief, but we have to talk about grief. But I think that that's that's the only lesson that we have in this is losing someone makes you, I hope, look at your own life. And if you can't answer that, like, yeah, yeah, I'm proud of. My, I did the best I knew how to do as a wife. I did the best I knew how to do as a mom. I laughed. I ate good food. I appreciated the beauty around me. I saw my blessings. I I did the best I could, which is all I think we're trying for here. Yeah. I think I, like you, grew up in an environment that said everything happens for a reason. And I think we both come. I've come more because of your influence in realizing that everything doesn't happen. Like there are really terrible things that happen. And I don't think Mm -hmm. like you, that there's a good reason for them happening, but that there can be good things learning wise or meaning wise that comes from everything. Even the stuff that didn't happen for a good reason. I think the, you know, the, the scary thing about grief or losing someone is it reminds us that we don't have control. Something could happen to us. Something could happen to our partner, our parents, our children. We don't have control. And so then it's like all you have is like you don't have control of a death. You only have control of the way you live your life. So gosh, you better Try your best. It's like where we were, wherever we were, and it was like if you knew you only had three years left. I mean, we just said like, what if this is your last day? You'd be proud. But what if you, what if you found out you had three years left? Yeah. So I did. I interviewed David Bach. Yeah. On the Rise podcast a couple months ago. A great interview, by the way, if you guys haven't listened to it. But we were at like a retreat where he was at. And all these business leaders got to go around the table and say like the thing that had changed their business the most in the last year. And these are like titans of industry. So you've got people talking about like crazy, amazing marketing ideas or, you know, scaling ideas or how do you get into a new market or whatever. And David's piece of advice was to ask yourself the question, what if you only had three years left to live? Are you living your life in a way? That would make you proud. Are you living today in a way that if you knew you you knew your your time was limited, and by the way, of course it is. And and it's the kind of thing you see on like a Pinterest quote or like someone's Instagram or whatever, and you're just kind of like, yeah, whatever. But for some reason, that day, that question hit me like an arrow to the heart. Yeah. Like, man, if I only have three years left to live then I have to make changes in the way that I'm living. If you only have three years left to establish your legacy, if you have three years left to leave your kids with the tools they need to live a great life, if you only have three years left to impact as many people as you possibly can. Or for me, I want to be honest. When I say that I have to change the way I'm living my life, it's not 
because I'm not having enough impact. It's not because I'm not making enough money. It's not because I'm not writing enough words. How I need to change and alter my life is I have to fight for as much rest as I'm fighting to succeed. And this is an ongoing, not battle with me because it's, I've fundamentally changed my life from that workaholic of six years ago. I'm not even in the same hemisphere as her, but I'm also coming off one of the most coming off. It's July. I guess we're not at the end of it yet, but this has been one of the most intense 18 month periods of my life. It's crazy. And I am fighting so hard for every single tiny morsel of rest, but it's not enough, frankly. And I think that's why it hit me so hard that day is because I, I want downtime, not weekends. I want downtime. And it sounds like everybody could say like, Oh yeah, dude, who doesn't want downtime? But I would argue that I keep a schedule that is more intense than 98% of the world's population. My schedule's crazy. And a, a weekend is not enough. And so when I heard that, like, if you only had three years, look, dude, if I only have three years left, I'm not like, oh, I should have written this book or I should have done that podcast or I should have built another company. I'm like, I should have laid around more on a beach with my kids in the sand. I should have had more no bra wearing days. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm, I should have. You should have put on those holy sweats. D- like I'm. By the way, I am recording this podcast in Hawaii, not wearing a bra, with big Hawaii beach hair, having spent three weeks here with our family. That was a decision that came out of this conversation. Of if I only had three years left, then my gosh. We have to fight for real time away, not, you know, little bits here and there. Yeah. And if those of you are like, wait, you're on time away and yet you're recording a podcast. You know what? You guys were, we're doing the best we can. Take a breath. We're doing the best we can. You know, one of the first things I did when I found out the news that our, uh, our friend passed, uh, about a week ago now was, I, I look back to see what the last note was that I sent him. Like I was wondering, like, what was the last correspondence I had? Was it positive, negative? Was I, did I end it with a joke? Did I say something nice? And it, I didn't. I mean, like, it was about as matter of fact as possible. I ended it with the word Dave instead of like your buddy, best, thanks. No, like, they're like, and, this is a business friend. This is a saying, yeah. This is a, like a yeah, friend. Yeah, friend. no. This is this is a business relationship. Someone in business that we really yeah. cared about. And it and it what it did was provoke a little bit of a, hey, every interaction might be the last that you end up having with somebody in your life, whether it's professional or personal, whether you're close or working together to try and create value in in the company. Like it might be the last time, and so like in a strange way the like humanity of his passing reminded me of the kind of humanity I needed to bring to my everyday interactions with everybody. Yeah. I think, um, an interesting thing that I forgot about until you just said that was someone had reached out and said, I have some really sad news. I need to call, I need you to call me. And 
I mean, first of all, it's like the worst text you can get. But immediately my brain went to who's dead. And I don't mean that sounds so like harsh, but having been through an intense loss and really intense trauma surrounding the loss of my brother and having PTSD from that. I go, it's very, that's a very triggering text to me. So it's not even a question for me. I immediately knew some, something had happened, but my gut was that it was someone else. Yeah. And all I could think was for the person I thought it was, I was like, devastated like my brain couldn't even like contemplate because I just thought this is someone I'm very close to very very close to is a dear mentor of mine and I just thought like please God not please not him please 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 not him because the person who was texting me is a mutual friend and I just kept thinking like I haven't had enough time I haven't talked to him about all the things like I haven't I I'm not as close to him as I want to be. And I wouldn't even like the easy thing is I could have just texted that person or called that person and made sure he was okay because it was like an hour in between getting the text and actually finding out the news. But I was so afraid that I would do that. And then it would be someone else who answered or that, Uh. uh, that I, that I couldn't bring myself to reach out to him. But I thought what's very telling is to ask yourself that question. Like, is there someone in your life right now that you're not even thinking about it because you think you have all the time in the world? Like, what haven't you said? Yeah. What have you left unsaid? Or what? what is, you know, a lot of us have hard past with our families, but I fundamentally believe with your parents, like if you have any kind of relationship still with your parent, even if they struggled to parent you the right way, if you lost them today, would you be devastated? And if the answer is yes, then you better work through your crap with them while they are still on this earth. Yeah. Like what, what would you regret not having said? Yeah. And why are you like, why would you risk that you might not get to say it? What I thought when I was worried that it was someone else was I thought, you had access to this friendship. You had access to this resource. You had access to this knowledge who every time we end a conversation, he's like, I'm here if you need me. What, you know, and you haven't taken advantage of, not advantage, that's not the right way to say it. You haven't reached out because truthfully, I haven't reached out because I don't want to be a bother. And like, you ha- he's offered 10 million times to talk to you, to, you know, take me and Dave out to dinner to do whatever. And I'm like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to be a bother. And then I thought if you, if, if you lost this man, you like you, there's so much that you wanted to say or wanted to learn or whatever. And you did not So I just think that's an interesting perspective shift or thing to be reminded of. Like, is there someone in your life right now that you, you're not saying what you should. You're not, you're holding on to anger. You're holding on to resentment. You're, you're not telling someone that you love them. You're not telling someone they're like, 
if you see something beautiful in someone, you should say it. You know, if someone's funny, you should tell them. If they're a good friend, you should acknowledge it. If you, like, what's the thing? You're going to, freaking A, like, your coworker, the barista who serves you well every morning, that, like, anyone in your life, that if you found out, like, they're gone, that you'd be like, like, Sarah was so kind, and I, she was so, like, here's, here's a challenge, if you're listening to this right now. What's the thing that you're going to stand up and say at their funeral? That, that you lose this person and, and, and their, their parents come to you and they're like, you know, you were her coworker, You were her small group leader. You were his teacher. We, we, we'd love for you to say something at the funeral. And you're going to dig and you're going to find something. You're going to find some beautiful story right? You're going to find this thing that you never told them because it felt trivial or silly. You're going to stand up at their funeral and you're going to make their family smile or cry or chuckle because you have some beautiful anecdote about the way that they live their life, but you don't tell it to the living. I mean, what's interesting for me in the things that we've gone through that were high stress or disruptive I've had a mechanism that I've tended to go to that's totally inappropriate when grief is on the table, my inappropriate use of humor during high-stress situations. So I kind of just shut down as we were processing this loss this last week because the thing I might normally go to when things get hard, making a joke that does not belong in that setting, was a thing that I even knew would be crossing a line. How... How would you have hoped or, I mean, you know, going back to your brother, like what did you need from people as you were processing the unprocessable? That is such a good question. I think one of the things I hated, and this seems crazy that someone would even say this, but people don't know what to say. And so people, a lot of people said, oh, I can imagine how this feels. And I remember I was 14, but I remember wanting to cuss like you were talking about with your Uncle Mel. Like I wanted to punch someone in the face like you do not know how this feels. And even if someone even if you're talking to someone and they have lost someone in the way you have lost someone, you still don't know what it feels like to them. And so I think it's like it's like anything else you don't understand. I think the only thing you can do is ask questions. How are you? Like but I also want to, I want to encourage too. like when you say to someone, um, when you say to someone like, what can I do? I think most people are like, I'm here. What can I do? The person who's grieving doesn't know what to tell you or they're hurting so badly. They don't, they're not like, Oh, I wish you'd come and do the dishes. So I think you just show up, you show up and you do what, someone would want for you to do or what you would want someone for do to do for you. You do the dishes, you pick up the kids, you do, you know, whatever the, the one thing I think I want to, I want to be careful on is I remember years ago when we lost our twins there, uh, that was a, a very heavy season of grief for me. And there were, we had people in our lives who out of one, like so much love wanted to be helpful to us, 
but could not hear what I was saying, which is I need time and I need space. I do not want to be around people. Yeah. I do not. I, I thank you and I love you, but I do not want that. And the people who were trying to be helpful decided that that meant, well, now we should just show up unannounced. Well, now we should sort of force our way into, because they were like, oh no, you need people around you. But how I personally process grief is not public. I do not feel comfortable sitting in a room and crying with people. That's just not how I am. Yeah. And I have friends who absolutely want people around them to cry together. So I think one, you show up, you do what you can. Like what are the things that you see that you can be helpful with? But if the person says to you, thank you so much, I need time. I think you have to be respectful. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I never knew your brother. I feel like I know your brother from all the stories, but when I joined your family in our marriage, the way that talking about him and his life happened was really a focus on his death instead of his life. Mm -hmm. And then we saw, I got to witness what to me was a pretty rad transformation that was more about celebrating how he lived instead of how he died in a way that preserved legacy. And uh, so... Yeah, I think for me, so Ryan died on September 29th and every year on September 29th, honestly, every year on August 29th, all of us separately, but like me for sure, I would start to get really bad anxiety Yeah, because the anniversary of his death was coming and it was the closer it got to that day, the more crippling it was like awful, 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 awful. And those of you who have lost someone you love, like, you know, that day, right? Um, so one year after, you know, we were together, we we're probably married. I just was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't shut down for an entire month. And then like, it just, it was just awful. And so I was trying to figure out how I could stop truly giving so much power to a date. And then I thought, well, what if what if you started giving all the power to his birthday? So April 29th is Ryan's birthday. So what if you started giving all your intention and your focus to his birthday? Because if it's about his birthday, then you have to focus on how he lived and not on how he died. And I, I mean, I can tell you that we did like even how we supported causes. So back in the day, all of the things that we supported were for suicide prevention. And then we shifted with this shift. I was like, let's do a fundraiser for music in public schools in, our, in my hometown because Ryan was a was a musician. And so everything became about his life and the gift of his life. And then those memories, the good memories naturally emerged and it became about who he was and the celebration of who he was and not how much we lost. And what I tell people when I talk to someone who's grieving or they were a year removed or two years removed or whatever time. And they're still really heavy in that grief. My thing that I always say is there will be a day where their birthday is more powerful for you than the day that you lost them. And the pain of that loss will never go away, but it will 
lessen. It won't eat up every hour of every day. It will come in little moments or something, a memory, a song, a, some food or something. And then I think all these years later now, those things, I still cry. I still miss my brother, but it's bittersweet because it's balanced against the beauty of his life. Yeah. It's interesting when you interviewed Joe Biden and he was talking about losing his son, losing his first wife and his daughter and his daughter. The, the thing he talked about, it's, it's a rise podcast episode if you're interested in hearing it, but on, it was, on grief, on, if you want on to grief. To it, yeah. yeah. But he said something similar, like, you know, he basically was tracking the way he was feeling and he could see over time that the times that he felt just a little bit better were a little more frequent. And over time, you saw the momentum shift that let a little more light come into a really dark situation until the lightness prevailed. But, it, you know, it is inevitably a thing that takes time. I mean, this is an uplifting rise together. No, podcast. I mean, I think, look, here, here's, here's the idea is when you lose someone that you love or honestly, even if let's say, maybe it's a celebrity that you admired, you see that, you know, we've lost someone that and you're just sort of there's just this sense of like loss and sadness and anger. And, and what does this mean? And, and how, all of these things, right? you can spin in those negative emotions forever if you don't give them some kind of outlet. And for us, that outlet looks like talking. We talk a lot. How does this make you feel? How does this make me feel? We pro we've talked about this so much in the last week. We've talked about so much about this loss. In, in a way, I almost think you have to kind of... Um, it's like therapy a little bit. Therapy, but almost... In the beginning, almost like um, obsessively, like a, because I couldn't stop thinking about it. I couldn't stop crying about it. So I was like, well, I have to talk. I have to get it out. It is like therapy. I have to talk to someone about this. And then it, it allows us as a couple to have these really beautiful conversations about, look, if something happened to me, I want you to know this is sad, but I want you to know like you were a beautiful partner to me and I felt so loved and I lived an incredible life and like you get to hold that, right? Those are the conversations that we get to have and, and what would we want for our family? What would we want for our children? Like it's, it's the reset button. We, by the way, I mean, we had some conversations about how we're really doing, how we're really feeling, how satisfied, how inspired, how like, we, we used a miserable situation to provoke a really, really beautiful conversation about how each of us individually were doing because it felt like the thing that the situation called for, that, you know, almost like in a way to maybe honor a little bit of making sense of why the heck this thing happened out of the blue, that it might be a thing that would allow us to reflect a little bit more on who we are as two people in this relationship and how we are in this relationship together. You're going to experience, you're going to experience something that is unexpectedly going to introduce grief in your life. And 
again, I'm not going to be the person who says, oh, it's happening for you or that it's, you know, happening because of some bigger reason. Like, it, it might just be a terrible tragedy of, a, of an accident. You can still choose to use it as a vehicle for understanding a little bit better about how your partner's processing, how your partner's doing. Um, it helped us. Yeah. I, I know that for sure. We've had more deep conversations in the last seven days about life and what it all means, about loss and what it would mean, about how the urgency of not having forever as a guarantee is prompting us to live as full as we possibly can every single day today. And if there are areas of our life that we aren't feeling like we'd feel proud about if we were to go today, what we're doing to try and address those things, like have those conversations. They're hard conversations, but dang it on the other side, you can have an exceptional, exceptional outcome if you're willing to wade into it. 